So last week, I uh, wrapped up um, a series on our blessed hope by looking at our life in light of eternity. For those of you who heard that message last week, hopefully you'll remember that I used the phrase, all of life to the glory of God. I used 1 Corinthians 10.31 as the basis of that statement where the Apostle Paul tells us, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, Just, just as an aside note, and this is for future reference and this has nothing to do with, with the message before I continue, but I just want you to know that I, I am thinking and praying about using the ESV translation as my underlying preaching text in most cases moving forward. Now you'll notice that's the ESV up there. And I'm saying this really on behalf of my, my old school brothers and sisters uh, who would be concerned about something like this. I have read the ESV from cover to cover. I have studied it and I find it to be a, a very reliable and faithful translation. It is somewhat more readable than the King James Version because it uses modern language and it uses modern syntax. Um, so in, even on Wednesdays, we're working out of the ESV on our Wednesday night class, and I think everybody would agree that's been reading it along with us, that it, it is a good translation. So I, I'm considering this transition. It's not something that I consider lightly, though. Um, I'm one of those people who have a very healthy uh, skepticism at other translations of the Bible. I don't like it when people try to change what the Word of God says. And in, and in a lot of translations, that's what you get. There are, you can see clear agendas behind how they're wording things. But I don't find that to be the case with the ESV. And I, I know there are other translations that are just as faithful, but this, this is the one that I have I've read my way through and I've worked my way through it. And I can say with confidence, I believe that it is, it is a faithful and reliable translation. Now, I'm not abandoning the King James Version, but I'm also not one of those guys that's a King James only guy either. I mean, I understand that King James is itself a translation, just like the ESV is a translation. Um, but I do love the King James, and I will, I will use it uh, where it, I find it appropriate to you. I just think there are some certain, certain circumstances where the King James uses language that is, is just timeless and beautiful and powerful and, and pr profound in a way that you just don't get that with modern English these days. There's a reason Shakespeare still holds such popularity, because there's, there's a profundity in Old English language, the way that things are just said in the Old English that just seem to resonate with the heart more than what modern English can capture. All of that is to say that for those old schoolers out there, if you notice the translation that I read from is a little bit different than what you're used to hearing, don't panic, I've not abandoned the faith. Okay? I'm just trying to use the tools that the Lord has given me in the best way possible and be faithful to it. So enough of that little rabbit trail. All of life to the glory of God. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. So in Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians that we just talked about in 1 Corinthians, Paul made that statement, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I took that for last week's focus as I ended up our series on blessed hope. I did that on purpose because I wanted to lay some fundamental principles. That, that principle, all of life to the glory of God, wanted that to be laid as a foundation for us to build on as we enter into a, a new series of teaching um, uh, over the next coming weeks. And, and I'm going to use my anchor. We're going to cast our anchor here in what Peter has to say in chapter 4. So let's go to the text. And if you've got it, would you stand with me while we read God's Word? If you're able. If not, that's fine too. 
1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep one another, above all, loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage in, in 1 Peter is about Christian life and what it looks like to live with and by that grace that God has given us. Peter has called it God's varied grace. The King James says it is his manifold grace. That means that it is multifaceted grace. It touches you in all kinds of different ways in every area of your life. It is varied grace. And as I was thinking about this, this scripture... It occurred to me that God's grace, that, that varied grace, that, that amazing, saving grace is also very disruptive. It is a disruptive grace. It is a disruptive thing when God moves in your life and on your behalf. You, you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It's grace after all. And by definition, it is a gift that is given to you. So when God moves... Listen to me, when God moves, everything changes. Amen. When God moves, everything gets turned on its head. There's an old song that says, you won't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. That's because grace is disruptive, church. You can't have an encounter with God and not come away changed one way or another. Amen. Amen. I call it disruptive for many reasons, and we're going to explore some of those in the coming weeks. But remember that Peter said that God's grace is varied grace. It is multifaceted grace. There are a ton of ways that God's grace comes in and just disrupts everything. And I, I don't think I'm doing damage to the text. I don't think I'm doing a, a violence to the nature of God by saying His grace is disruptive. Amen. God is not the God of chaos. He is the God of order. But it disrupts things when he moves. And it is good that he disrupts things when he moves. Amen. This morning, I just want to look at three foundational, ultimately important ways that grace is disruptive. We'll cover a whole lot of other stuff in the coming weeks. So when I think about God moving in a radically way and radically changing somebody's life, the first person that comes to my mind in Scripture is the Apostle Paul. 
You guys remember in, in Acts chapter 9 when Paul, he was then called Saul, that's his Hebrew name, was traveling to D Damascus. He had papers that gave him authority to imprison and hunt down and, and even kill anyone who was a follower of Jesus Christ. He had authority in his hands, authority that he had asked for. He wrote, he went to the, the authority, the, the chief uh, priests, and he asked for this authority to go hunt down the Christians. He was zealous about cleansing Israel of what he thought was a Christian disease. Amen. Christians were not safe around Paul. They were afraid of him, and for good reason, because they were being hunted by him. Amen. And Paul was on the hunt when he was on the road to Damascus, but something happened on that road. He had a disruptive encounter with God's grace that changed his entire life, completely turned him around, radically changed. Amen. Amen. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul said, he said, Timothy, let me tell you something, Timothy, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, and I am the chief sinner. He said, nobody sinned as good as me. I was the chief. I persecuted the church, and I loved it. But I had an encounter. I was on my way to do a job that I, I wanted to do. Nobody sins because they have to. They sin because they want to. I was on my, job to do, oh, my way to do a job I wanted to do. I felt righteous in doing it. I loved doing it. I was zealous for it, but I was disrupted by grace. And now everything's changed. And that's the first thing I want you to see about God's grace, is that it is a disruptive force against the sin in your life. You don't have to be who you were, and you're not bound to your past. Paul would thank God for that, and so should you. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul gives this long list of sinful behaviors, and, and these are behaviors that define people. Things like, like sexual immorality, and he calls them idolaters, and, and, and adulterers, and thieves, and drunkards, and he goes on and on and on. But then in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you, Amen. but... Such were some of you. You were thieves. You were idolaters. You were adulterers. You were sexually immoral. You were these things, but you were washed. You were sanctified. Amen. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. This is who you were, guys. This is how you lived. This is what defined you. But you had a disruptive encounter with grace, and now everything has changed. Amen. All of the things that you used to love, all the things that you, you used to seek after, you, you don't seek after those anymore. All the things of the flesh, they don't satisfy your thirst like they used to. Sin does not serve you like it used to. Something has changed. There's been a disruption. Such were some of you, but... Amen. Such were some of you, but your sin's been disrupted. Amen. Has your sin been disrupted this morning? I just feel like somebody ought to praise God for that. Somebody ought to praise God. Thank you, God, for getting in the way of my sinful nature. Thank you for coming in and changing my heart so I don't desire what I used to desire. I don't crave what I used to crave. What I want is joy. What I want is kingdom-minded purpose. What I want is to build your kingdom. I don't want all that mess anymore. Thank you for disrupting my sin.
Some of you may be thinking, Pastor Jeff, well, there's no way that God can use me because I know where I've been, I know what I've done, and I know what I deserve because of it. Well, you're right. <laughs> there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 6, 23, very correctly and profoundly says that the wages of our sin is death. That's what we all deserve because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you're in the same boat in all your guilt and all your shame. You're in the same boat as the rest of us. Our judgment, our righteous payment for our wickedness is death. We have already been judged by our sin, for our sin. In John 3, Jesus said that he did not come into the world to condemn the world. Y'all know John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Verse 17, for God came not into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He says, I didn't come to condemn the world. And then he says, the reason why is because those who don't believe are already condemned. I didn't have to do any condemning because they're already condemned in their sin. I came to save those who will believe in my name and put their hope and trust Amen. in my righteousness. Amen. Grace, church, disrupts your sin. Grace disrupts your judgment. Yes, sir. Amen. There's a little story in John chapter 8 that demonstrates that so vividly. The scribes and the Pharisees, you're all going to remember this when I tell it to you, they caught a woman in the act of adultery. You remember that? Some of you may be saying, well, well, what about the man? Well, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is that the woman was caught. She was condemned. She was judged and righteously condemned because she, they correctly pointed out that she had broken the law. And in this case, the law demanded that she be stoned to death. She was guilty. She was condemned, judged. Amen. And so they brought her before Jesus. They wanted to test Jesus, and they said they wanted to see what he would do about it. Is he going to keep the law and stone this woman? And what, what, is, what do we see Jesus say? John chapter 8, verse 7, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, the famous, oh, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Amen. And at once, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And they said, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elder ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Don't you know it pricked their hearts when he said, let he who is out sin cast the first stone. And so one by one they go away. And Jesus is left with her. And he says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? This is a guilty woman. And she knows she's guilty. Caught in the act. She's about to die for it. Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. She was guilty. She was judged. She was condemned. But she had an encounter with disruptive grace. God moved on her behalf, and her condemnation was erased. Her judgment was wiped clear. I was once lost and bound by sin, imprisoned by sin. I was judged and convicted and condemned to die, but Jesus made his grace to shine upon me, grace that disrupted my judgment, grace that erased my judgment. Thank God for his disruptive grace.
This disruption of God's grace, it does not stop there. It, it is varied grace, as, as Peter said, the multifaceted grace, grace that gets all up in your business in every corner of your life. Amen. There was a man who was dead in the grave. For four days, Lazarus was dead in the grave. He was gone to his final rest. And it, it's been, the, the scripture is careful to point out, it's been four days. Do you know why? Because all of the local wisdom, all of the knowledge and the teaching of the religious elites held that after three days, the spirit leaves the body. After three days, there's no coming back from that. That's, he's, he's, what do you say? Dead, dead. Graveyard dead. I'm thinking doorknob dead, but I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Graveyard dead. Lazarus is dead. There's no coming back from this. He's lying dead in his grave. But what happened? Grace comes up. Grace comes up. He's lying dead in his grave, but that wasn't the final word because Grace had something else to say about it. Lazarus, come forth. Sin is disrupted. Judgment is disrupted. Death is disrupted by grace. Death, where is your sting? Where'd it go? Jesus stepped in and disrupted Lazarus' physical death, and that, that wasn't even the point. He did that to prove his power over spiritual death. Do you remember the crippled man that was brought to Jesus, and they, they lowered him down through the roof in Luke, Luke chapter 5? Before Jesus ever healed him, he told the man, he said, don't, he said be, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. He said, don't worry, brother, you, I have forgiven your sins. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they heard this, and they were shocked by this. If you recall, They're, they were like, who does this guy think he is? That, only God can forgive sins. This is blasphemy. In Luke 5, we see what, what happened. Jesus, when he perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? He said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. Look at this. You, you have to see this. You have to see this. This is a paralyzed man, and he got up. Before he met Jesus, he was physically disabled. There was deadness, paralysis in his body. So, so he had built, you know, just like we all do, he built routines and patterns around his disability. You know, we, we build systems in our own lives to, to cope with our, our dis-ease and our, our disability. Whatever deadness and paralysis kind of cripples us, we, we'll build systems around it. Whatever hinders us, whatever hurts us, we build systems and habits around that and attitudes and defenses so that we can try to be comfortable in our, in our deadness. Amen. So this man was was physically paralyzed, he had deadness in his body, and before meeting the Christ, he was spiritually dead. He was dead in his sins. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 says. You're all dead in your trespasses. But grace, church, <laughs> grace disrupted his physical deadness and, and, and his disease, and grace disrupted his spiritual death, and that is what the whole point was. Look at verse 25. And immediately he rose up and picked up what he had been laying on and went home. Amen. Amen. But it doesn't stop there, does it? 
He went home because it doesn't stop there because it really doesn't matter that he went home. And it really doesn't matter that he walked home. What mattered? What was most important? What was ultimate, the ultimate goal and of all that Jesus ever did for this man was not that he walked home, but the manner in which he walked home. Amen. Look at what it says. He went home doing what? Glorifying God. Giving glory to God. Now listen to me, church. A dead body... A dead body cannot glorify God. That's what David said in Psalm 115. The dead do not praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. A living body with a dead spirit cannot glorify God. Right. Romans 8, 7. For the mind, is set, the, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the mind that is set on the flesh, that's the, the spiritually dead mind. The mind that has only been born of the flesh, has not been born, as Jesus would say, born again of the Spirit. That mind is hostile towards God. It cannot submit to God's law. It cannot please God. Amen. So a dead body can't glorify God. A living body with a dead spirit can't glorify God. You have to be a living body and a living spirit to glorify God. That's what Lazarus was all about. This man, the crippled man, was only disabled. He was, he was burdened with deadness. Amen. Lazarus had been taken by death itself, fully, completely dead, just like me and you are in our sins. But once grace stepped in and disrupted the situation, Lazarus found that he was suddenly fully alive, fully dead to fully alive, completely alive in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your disruptive grace. Disruptive grace stops my sin dead in its tracks. It erases my judgment. It is the resurrection power in my life. Yes, it is disruptive, but it is still grace. Amen. Yes, and by definition, that means that it is a gift. Amen. You have to be a willing recipient. Yes, sir. You have to receive this grace. So the question is, church, are you ready for some disruption in your life? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, Grace comes with disruption. Amen. Amen. Be careful how you answer that because there are a lot of things that it means for us as recipients of this disruptive grace. The Bible says that to whom much is given, much is required. Count the cost. Grace may be free and freely given, but it is not cheap. Amen. So how do we fit into all this disruption? I, I pray that you'll, you'll come back and join us as we explore that. Let me tell you that when you embrace disruptive grace, it will radically change your life. You'll know joy and fullness like you've never known. Amen. And I, I hope to unpack to you what I mean by disruptive grace. Amen. More than I have this morning. I mean, it, this, again, it's the varied grace of God. It'll get into every area of your life. Amen. But before we go down that path, I, I believe God wants to do some disruptive work in all of us. Now, even today. You know, I told you a long time ago about the rhythms of worship. Read, pray, sing, read, pray, sing, read, pray, sing. And I challenge you all that you need to make that part of your life. I don't, I don't just say those things. I mean, I, I try to put those things in practice. And I do that. I read and pray and sing. Read, pray, sing, read, pray, sing. When I'm writing sermons, I read, pray, and, and sing. And it blessed my heart this morning when... We sang that song, Lord, I love you, and my soul sings. Yes. 
here in your presence, carried on your wings. I love you so much, Jesus. I love you so much. See, as I was writing this sermon, you know, I get to points in the message sometimes or get to points in my study because it is grueling. There's a lot, a lot of hours involved. and I just need to take a break. And, and sometimes I'll just sit back in my chair and just start to sing. And that's the song I was singing. I love you, Lord, and my soul sings. Some of us need a disruptive move of his grace in our life today. Some of you are wrestling with sins. Beyond wrestling, you may just be playing with sins. You may not even be fighting it. You're you're toying with it, and, and you know that it is destroying your soul, and it's killing the way you walk with Christ. Maybe it's something you've been dealing with for years or something that has just sprung up even this morning, but you don't quite know how to shake it. You know you should put it out of your life, but when it comes down to it, when you really get to it, this thing you've been wrestling with for so many years, when it comes time to put it out of your life, as it turns out, you really do kind of love it. You love it too much to let it go. That's what sin does. I'm here to tell you, though, that God is ready to move in you with a disruptive kind of grace. He is ready to deliver you out of the bondage to sin. Grace disrupts your sin. And there are others in this room, I am sure, who are carrying a heavy burden of guilt over your past sins. You are bound by the chains of your own condemnation, and you need a disruptive move of grace, a chain-breaking grace. Jesus said, cast your cares upon me, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the heavy load bearer. Lay it at his feet, all of your guilt, all of your shame. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who are the called according to his purpose. And to the one who is listening to me now, this message that I believe is filled with hope and restoration, this message of God's amazing disruptive grace, but your heart is heavy, It's heavy because I've been speaking about life and glory and you just don't see it inside. You've lost a lot and you've lost it for a long time and your joy has died. Your hope that was once a mighty river has dried up. When things went went wrong with you all those those years ago, all that time ago, you you held your chin up, you strengthened yourself, you said, I'm going to make it, this is going to get better. I believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but day after day and month after month and year after year just seems to get worse. Minute by minute, hope dies. You lost hope for that job. You've lost hope that God will heal you. You've given up trying to patch things up with your family. But God is here, church. We are gathered in His name, and where we are gathered in His name, He is in the middle of us. God is ready to move in your life with a disruptive grace. Let God speak into your heart today. Let Him restore the joy of His salvation in your life. And if by chance there is one who hears me who does not know Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are spiritually dead. You are disabled, paralyzed. If you even feel the slightest tug in your heart, do not ignore it. That is Jesus knocking at the door. The Bible says to call upon the Lord while he is near. Do not let that moment go by. I am begging you 
I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try to paint a false picture for you. God's grace is disruptive. But oh, what a sweet disruption it is and what glorious and enduring joy it brings. Church, if the Lord is moving on you at all this morning, on any of you, now is the time and today is the day. I'm going to have Brianna sing a song and I encourage you, if you need to find a place to pray, find a place to pray. If you want to pray with someone, pray with someone. But this is not a prayer that I can do for you. This is something you've got to do. You have to open your heart and your mouth to God and give it to Him. If you find yourself in any of those circumstances, if God is speaking to you at all this morning, let this be a house of prayer.